Reading is hard. Whether you're a little kid or whether you're an older person, it's still hard. We don't like to wait. Maybe some of you do, but I doubt it. We like to have things right now. And we live in a world where things have been created so that we can a lot of times, right? I mean, fast food. We want food? Boom. Got it now. Uh, Instant credit. If we want something, we can just get credit and buy it. may have to pay for it later, but we don't have to wait, right? That's what we like. And yet, at the same time, some of the most important things in life are the things that require waiting. To have a child, for example, you have to wait nine months. When you get married, it usually takes a long process of planning before you enter into that. And as I was preparing the message this week, almost on a daily basis, I came across people who were waiting for something. All different things, like an application filled out and waiting for the response from that. Uh, Like waiting to hear back from a medical test and hearing the results. Like waiting for healing when you want to go home. I mean, just daily, if you're thinking about waiting, as I was this week, you'll see examples That's a big part of our lives, even though we don't like to do it. And so this morning, I'm not going to try to convince you uh, to like waiting. But what I want to see as we look into the Word is that waiting can be good for us. God can use waiting for good in our lives if our focus is in the right place. Um, And that's linked very closely to faith. If we have faith, then we can wait well, or we can at least wait better, and God can do some good in that waiting time. So I want to encourage you with that as we look at a couple of characters in Luke chapter 2 who were waiting. Uh, One man's named Simeon, the other is a woman named Anna, Uh, but both of these individuals are waiting for something. Actually, they're waiting for someone. And think through, how can we wait well? Or how do we become people who use these waiting times uh, or allow God to use those waiting times? Luke chapter 2, we'll start with verse 22. It says, When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. 
Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So in this passage, uh, Luke uses a Greek word for anticipation in verse 25 and in verse 38 that identifies uh, Simeon and Anna as waiting with expectation for the coming of the Messiah or the Savior. And and the word literally means uh, that they were alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. Both are waiting for the Messiah, but as we dig in and study these two characters a little bit, we find out that they're waiting for different reasons. Uh, so let's start with Simeon. Luke 2.25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now I'm not going to talk about this, but just looking at that, wouldn't that be great if someone wrote that about you? Uh, that you were righteous before people, that you were devout in your relationship with God. I think that's the marks of someone who has their life in order. They love the Lord and they're righteous before people. I wish that would be said of us. I said I wasn't going to talk about that, so I need to move on, right? Okay, things were, uh, if, you, if you think about the context of Simeon here, uh, the nation of Israel and the, the things that are happening, things are not going very well. For them, They hadn't heard from God for many years from a prophet, and, and they were under Roman rule. Um, they had lost their political independence, and they were living in fear of a cruel king named Herod, who we know. And many of them were wondering if the Messiah would ever come. But Simeon had good reason for his hope. Verse 26 tells us, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so by the Holy Spirit, and I think that's a key point for us, that we live by the Spirit, the Spirit is our hope, Um, Simeon had been told and he was focused on the comfort that Christ would bring. And I think among the Jews of Simeon's day, that was a common theme. One of the popular titles of the Messiah was Comforter. Just like some of the Christmas songs we've sung this morning. Longing for the Messiah to come to the world to bring comfort and peace uh, that only he could bring. And I believe that we desire that in our day as well. If we're honest, we long for comfort. We struggle with loneliness. We struggle with emptiness or insecurity. And God knows that. He understands our longings. Um, Notice, again, the Holy Spirit is what prompts Simeon to go to the temple courts at just the right time. Uh, Just when Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus to the temple. And so Simeon looks at the baby who's now about six weeks old, and he knows by the Spirit that God's promise has been kept. That right before his eyes was God Emmanuel, God with us. 
here to finally make everything right and to provide significance by his presence and to eliminate rejection and fear and loneliness. Verse 28 of Luke 2 says that Simeon reached down, he took Jesus out of Mary's arms, and he began to praise God. And so, parents, this morning, if if, uh, that idea startles you, I'm with you that an old man would come up and grab your infant, perhaps. But we don't see in the passage that Joseph and Mary are troubled, and I would imagine that Simeon is not an intimidating, scary character. Uh, But look at uh, what what he uh, what he does here. He breaks out in praise. He acknowledges that God had not only fulfilled the individual promise to him, but the promises that he had given to the prophets, and that the anointed one was there to bring comfort to both the Jews and the Gentiles. The other character waiting with anticipation was Anna. And after her husband had died, she had dedicated herself to fasting and praying in the temple. In fact, it says here that she never left the temple, but that she worshipped day and night. Now, some of you I see around the church quite a bit, but not that much. Um, And that's okay. But this woman obviously is devoted. She's dedicated. And look at verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I want to focus on that word redemption. And that's related to the idea of captivity or being a captive. Old Testament Passover and the release of Israel from the the Egyptian slavery um, stood out to the Israelites and to Anna at as the ultimate redemption, the symbol of God's power to release captives. And Passover was given to point them ahead to the day when God would provide deliverance from the slavery of sin. So when Anna saw Jesus, she gives thanks to God and she speaks of him to all who are waiting for this redemption or this forgiveness or this release from captivity. Because here at last was the one who would save his people from their sins. So when Jesus came, he provided the very things, the very longings of Simeon and Anna, the things that they were waiting for, his comfort, his redemption or forgiveness. And so when I ask you this morning, what are you waiting for in this season? What are you longing for? Can any of you identify with Simeon this morning? Um, Perhaps some of you are hurting. Uh, Maybe you feel lonely or empty or afraid. Or maybe you're maxed out and you need comfort. Maybe you need a fresh sense of God's presence in your life. And if that's so, if that's the case, the Bible tells us you can find what you're looking for in the person of Jesus. Because he came to console us, to comfort us right where we're at. Or maybe this morning you identify more with Anna. You're plagued with sin or the guilt of what you've done in the past. Maybe you feel trapped in a pattern of sin right now in your life that you can't break out of. And you need forgiveness. You need to be set free. And if so... Jesus is the one who has the power to do that. Jesus can give you that. Even this morning, if you would ask him. There's no better time. 
So from this passage, I want to just point out three action steps that can move us to experience God's comfort and forgiveness in this season of Advent. First of all, become a marveler. Become a marveler. And I'm not talking about the Marvel Company or comics or anything like that. And I'm not even sure marveler is an official word in the dictionary. But just work with me on this one. When Joseph and Mary try to process everything that's happening, verse 33 says that they marveled at what was said about Jesus. And according to the dictionary, to marvel is to be filled with wonder and astonishment and surprise. And so, will you be a marveler of the Christ child in this Advent season? Will you be a person who marvels? Or will will you be caught up in the busyness or the stress or maybe the confusion like the skit was talking about this morning? Will you be a marveler? Perhaps Christmas has become a little bit too familiar for us. Maybe it's become too predictable. I mean, maybe we hear the Christmas story so often that it no longer astonishes us. Well, here's one idea that may help to recapture the marvel. As you read or as you listen to the Christmas story, pick out one of the Christmas characters and imagine that you're in their sandals or that you're seeing the story for the first time through their eyes. Just, just imagine that. Pick one of them out. Maybe you want to pick Mary or Joseph or the shepherds or Simeon or Anna or the wise men. And then marvel with them as you think about the story. Become a person who marvels. Or, as I have said, a marveler. I like that word. Uh-huh. Action step number two after becoming a marveler is become a mover. Let's look at 27 again. It says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And then drop down to verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And so we see that both Simeon and Anna were movers. They took action. When the Holy Spirit prompted them to move, they didn't sit still. They didn't say, I'm not sure if I like that idea or was that really God? No, the Holy Spirit prompts them. They move. And I wonder what would have happened if they hadn't responded. And if you think through the Christmas story again, um, it's full of characters who are responding, maybe with the exception of Herod. But the other characters are responding to what God is saying to them. Mary, for example, was ready to move when the angel says to her uh, that, that she's going to have birth, uh, give birth to a child. She says, may it be to me as you have said. Joseph demonstrates that he's a mover when he wakes up from his dream. Matthew, says, Matthew 1 says he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and he took Mary home as his wife. The shepherds were movers as well. In Luke 2, they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened And, of course, we know the wise men saw the star, and they moved out of their comfort zone to find the king. And so for you and I this morning, my encouragement from the word is that when the Holy Spirit prompts you, do something. Move. I know we get stuck. We have fears. We worry about failure. All these kinds of things. But if the Holy Spirit prompts you, move. Act. It's interesting to me that as 
we think about these action steps. Uh, for example, we think about marveling. If we do become people who marvel, we naturally become people who move. They go together. And I think the third step goes along with that as well. The third uh, final action step from this passage that I see is become a messenger. Verse 38. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So maybe you have family and friends who are getting caught up in all the Christmas preparations and you watch all of the effort that they put into that. But but maybe look at it this way. Maybe their anticipations and their longings in this season really represent an inner search for comfort and forgiveness. That they're really longing for things that only the Messiah can provide. God wants each one of us to become messengers of the, of the Christmas story, the story about Him. Um, so as we try to slow down and as we become marvelers, I believe the wonder of Christmas can astonish us again, no matter how old we are. Then, then we become movers, and as we do that, our need for comfort and forgiveness become met. And as we take our role as messengers seriously, we're in a position to introduce others to this Christ of Christmas, which is the only thing that can satisfy their longings. So in a nutshell, Christmas is a marvelous moving message. And how can we not find what we're looking for? How can we keep quiet about it? Because once we've been given the Son, we have everything. We have everything. Many years ago, there was a wealthy man, and he shared a passion for art with his son. And they collected priceless works of art by Picasso and Van Gogh and others, and they hung them on the walls of their family estate. And as winter approached, uh, they were appreciating the artwork, but the young man uh, heard that he needed to leave and for his country go to war. Uh, And so he did that. And then... Sadly enough, only after a few weeks, the father received a telegram telling him that his son had died. And so he became very distraught and lonely, as you might imagine. The joy of the season had vanished with the death of his son. And on Christmas morning, uh, he heard a knock on the door. And so he was awakened and he was depressed, but he went to the door. And as he walked to the door, the masterpieces of art on the walls just reminded him that his son was not coming home. But as he opened the door, he greeted a soldier who was there with a large package in his hands. And the man said, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. Can I come in for a few minutes? I have something I would like to show you. So uh, the father let the soldier in the door, and, and then the soldier told him that he was an artist, and he gave the old man a package. And as the old man opened it up, it revealed a portrait of his son. Now, the world would never consider this portrait or this painting uh, as being of value, like the other works of art in his home, but he could see his son clearly, and, and he distinctly and painted his his son's face very well. And so the man was overcome with emotion. And he took the portrait and he put it over the fireplace and he pushed aside the the millions of dollars of uh, art uh, to do that. 
And when he completed that task, he sat in the chair and he spent that Christmas gazing at the gift that he'd been given um, because the painting of his son was now his most prized possession, far outweighing any work of art that he had collected. Well, the following spring, uh, the old man passed away and the art world was filled with anticipation for the upcoming auction of all the artwork. And according to the will of the old man, all the artworks would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day that he had received his greatest gift. Well, that day came and all of the art collectors uh, around the world gathered. They wanted to bid on some of the most spectacular paintings. But when the auction began uh, for the opening bid, the room grew silent because the first painting up for the auction was the painting of his son. And the auctioneer asked for, the, for an opening bid, and he said, Who will start the bidding at $100? No one spoke. The room was silent. Finally, someone said, Who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's move on to the good stuff. And the auctioneer responded, No, we have to sell this one first. Now, who will take the son? Well, finally, a neighbor uh, of the old man offered $10. He said, that's that's all I have. But I knew that boy, and I'd like to have it. So the auctioneer said, well, $10 going once, twice, gone. And it was sold. Well, cheers filled the room, and someone exclaimed, Now we can bid on the real treasures. And the auctioneer looked at the room and he announced that the auction was now over. And the people were stunned. Someone spoke up again and said, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a painting of someone's son. There are millions of dollars worth of art here. What is going on? And the auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the son gets it all. And that story illustrates the reality of our lives. That whoever has the Son has it all. Because the Son not only forgives us, but He comes in our life and He brings with Him all of the treasure that we could ever handle or need. Kind of puts it in perspective for us. Whoever takes the Son has it all. And so my question for you this morning is, will you receive the Son? Will you take Him in? Will will you marvel at the gift of God's Son and be moved to action and share His message wherever you are?